Well, good morning, church. Everybody wide awake and ready to go? Like, not go, go. You have to stay here, okay? Like, you, you are stuck now, all right? You get to hear me for about four hours. Thanks for agreeing to that. Uh, no, just kidding, man. It's so good to see you. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. Um, before we dig in, man, just a couple things to celebrate as a church. One, uh, I said this last week, this past week, our middle schoolers uh, went to middle school beach camp. From Sunday to Friday, they got home. I know our oldest, two got back exhausted uh, from an incredible, incredible week. But uh, I think they had 90-something middle school students go. Um, isn't that something that you want to sign up for? Yeah, maybe not. You're like, no, don't do that to me. But uh, what's so awesome is that they had nine middle school students decide and make a decision to follow Jesus, to step into salvation. So, yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. And then selfishly and biasly, out of the nine, two that come right here to Five Forks, call this place home. One, Denver, um, who's one of our middle school students. And then also uh, our, our oldest son, Zion, gave his life to Jesus. So both Denver and Zion stepped into a relationship with Jesus. So yeah, you can do that. It's incredible. And, um, and then across all of our campuses this morning, we have 19 people getting baptized. So uh, that is something awesome to be celebrated. And at the same time, you can see we're not celebrating any here, so I'm going to shame you right now. Um, because, no, I'm just kidding. But, man, the beauty of our model as a church is that while we have multiple campuses, and you might call this campus home, man, anytime someone takes that step of obedience, whether, it doesn't matter what campus it is, we celebrate that because we are one church. And so it is incredible to see um, people of all ages stepping into a relationship with Jesus and stepping in to obedience that way. Um, and so, man, God's doing amazing things. And then what about that time of worship we just had? Holy cow, man. Um, spirit is working, and this is not just some show or service that we put on. Man, we want God to show up and to fill his presence. This is not about me or our church. It's about God. And uh, man, if you're looking for a church, this is your first Sunday. That's what we are all about. We want God to be God and not for us to try to get in the way. And I always say this all the time. People are like, hey, how's Five Forks going? I'm like, it's going great. I just want to stay out of the way and not mess it up, right? And so we need God to be God in that. And one clarifying thing, I think it's funny, more on a personal note, uh, as Catherine did a great job explaining date night with Dustin, that was not my idea, all right? So if you saw that, and my, I'm like a creeper coming around in the graphic, but um, let me just throw this out there, okay? That was um, actually, I blame Dallas Wilson for that, um, truly, and he, uh, but we're, we thought, man, that night on the 22nd, our kids are meeting in their spaces, students are meeting that night, because we kind of have a sporadic uh, schedule during the summer, so let's let couples, um, whether you're married, engaged, dating, get together and just have fun. So we're having dessert and coffee. We're going to have some good games. And when I say games, we're not playing Monopoly, all right? So it's going to be like game show type games, some sweet giveaways, and just a good time. I don't know about you, but as a married man, it's hard to find a date night, right? So child care is free. Drop them off. Come over. It's at our downtown campus. It's going to be a lot of fun. But um, we are going to pick up where we left off last week. We started this series called Into the Wilderness, and we are going to spend approximately 10 weeks walking through this amazing narrative in the Old Testament um, in the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible. 
And we're going to be walking through this. So last week, if you were here, we hit kind of really, really quick, kind of an overview of chapter 1 and 2. And this morning, we're going to be in chapter 3, at least the first half of it. We'll pick up next week in the later half. But what I love about this, and we said this last week, is the book of Exodus is such an incredible reminder for you and me as believers of who God is. And I think I'm guilty just as you are that oftentimes we kind of get off the beaten path and we forget exactly the character and nature of who God is. And even to a point where I would say we can be guilty of watering him down and bringing him to our level where he needs to be what we just sang about on this throne up high in glory that doesn't look like you and me. And there's a reason he's God and we're not, right? And so we're going to be walking through this and this incredible passage this morning gets to probably one of the most popular stories of the Bible um, because it's crazy how it happens, especially in the Old Testament, where God shows up and speaks to Moses through a burning bush. Man, what an amazing, amazing story. And as I was preparing this for this week, it's something interesting about fire that it is both inviting and simultaneously terrifying. Would you agree with me on that? Think about this. There's, for me, I love a, uh, like a Friday night or maybe it's a Saturday night, Saturday night in the fall around the bonfire. Your favorite college team wins. You um, are having a little cookout, whatever. It's a cool night, not super cold, and you're doing s'mores with the kids. This is something inviting about that. Or if you have a fireplace in your house, there's something about sitting in the living room next to your fireplace in the winter and just not, it's just you and your lazy boy, right? And you are listening, you're watching the fire, and you hear the crackle of the wood, the smell of the wood. There's just something inviting about that. But fire is also terrifying. When I was in fifth grade, I'm going to reveal a lot, okay, this is like confession time, all right? I'm giving you a lot of ammo and blackmail here in a second is that when I was in fifth grade, as many elementary schools do, um, we had a fifth grade talent show. And so I came, I came home and I told my parents, hey, I want to do something for the talent show. Now I'm letting the cat out of the bag and I'll never hear it. And I'll, I'm sure y'all, I'm giving you ammo to make fun of me, okay? But believe it or not, this is going to explain a lot about me. But my dad, true story, my dad was a clown in the circus, Okay. I thought that was funnier than it really is, but, okay, now, you're like, I don't know if I should feel bad for you or what. Uh, Are you being serious? But seriously, in the late 70s, my dad was a clown for Ringling Brothers, and and so he, um, right before him, uh, him and my mom got married and I was born and all that stuff, he left, you know, that, and, because they were traveling all over the place, uh, got a full-time job, but his side hustle was he would do school programs, he would do birthday parties as a clown, but he learned magic, all right? So does that explain a lot about me now? You're like, yes, it does, okay? So you mix that with like the Jerry Springer side of my family, and it's a perfect, it's like, hey, if God calls, he can call me to ministry, he can definitely call you, all right? And so, but growing up, especially in elementary school, now middle school, it got weird, but when you're in elementary school, you're like, my dad's a clown, it's pretty cool. So I come home, and naturally, my dad wants to live vicariously through me, and is like, for your talent show, you got to do magic, right? you got to do magic. And so, I, man, he, he had all these awesome tricks and all this stuff, ooh and all. Ah. And so at fifth grade night, did the talent show, and it went off incredibly well, at least in my opinion. But there was this one trick, kind of the grand finale. Now, just imagine 
especially if you have a kid in elementary school, this would never fly nowadays. But there was a magic trick that it uh, included fire, okay? So here I am in fifth grade, and here's the magic trick. You had a, like a baking pan, like a deep dish baking pan thing, and part of it was like, I'm going to make a cake, and you pretend you're putting all these ingredients in it and stuff. Well, inside, the audience doesn't see this, okay? A magician's telling his secrets, right? Not that I'm professional by any means. But inside the baking pan is what is called flash paper. It looks like tracing paper. It's very, very thin material. But when it lights on fire, it flashes. It makes a big flame and dissipates. It's just, okay? And it's gone. There's no paper left or anything like that. So part of the trick is, hey, I'm making this cake. We need some fire. Here I am, fifth grade, all right? On a Friday night at the talent show, I light a match, okay? I throw it into the pan. Whoosh, you know, you put a lid on it, and then it has like this like trap compartment door. You lift up the pan, and it's a rubber chicken in it, all right? So everybody's like, ha, 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 so funny. Well, anyway, it went off great. <laughs> it, went, it went off so good that I can't remember exactly, but the administration was like, man, we want you to perform that for our younger um, kids. So kindergarten, first, and second grade in the library. So we go to the library the following week, you know, and as a fifth grader, I'm like, this is awesome. Everybody knows me, right? Well, so I go to do this trick. I light a match. I throw it in there. Nothing happens. Now, I am smart enough, even though I don't look it, not to look into the pan. But it didn't light. So I'm like, okay. So I strike, an strike another match, throw it in there. It still doesn't light. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to roll with it. So I'm like, hey, okay. While I go, dumb me, I reach over the pan to get the lid. Now you know where it's going. I go to reach to get the lid, and at that time, the flash paper decided to ignite. So as I'm reaching whoosh, in my arm, right, and as any fifth grader would do, as you learn at a young age, when you catch on fire, heaven forbid, <laughs> you need to do what? Stop, drop, and roll, all right? Safety team, we got everybody here, all right? And so I, I drop, I'm rolling, I'm crying, I, I don't know. I'm just, the kindergarten, first, and second graders think it's part of the trick. <laughs> They're like, ha, 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 he's on fire, ha, ha, you know? So the teachers are like, oh, my God, you know? I think I've, like, probably set history at elementary school, all right? And so they take me to the nurse's office, and, like, no empathy for me whatsoever. They put my arm, right, in this cold ice bucket of water, I look, and I'm, you know, just my flesh is melting, okay? And so my mom comes as a nurse. She was a nurse, wraps it all up, and I don't know from that incident, I'm, like, scarred for life, right? So when I see fire, I'm like, I'm like Captain Woe with the kids. I'm like, whoa, 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 you know, don't get next to the fire. It's terrifying. It is terrifying. It can burn your house. It can burn you. It can destroy things. And so simultaneously, fire is both inviting and terrifying, and what we're going to see this morning is that God shows up in fire in this burning bush to invite Moses into this incredible thing, into this incredible plan and the purpose of his life. But Moses is also terrified to death. Now, I'm going out on a limb here, but I would argue that for many of us, especially if you are a follower of Jesus, you would say, man, I want to experience God. I want to feel him. I want to know him. I want him to do something in my life that is so huge. But at the same time, it's terrifying because if he moves in your life, it's like, okay, in the back of our minds, what is he calling me to do? What steps are he, is he asking me to take 
to get out of my comfort zone, to maybe move from this spiritual outskirts to a more intimate relationship with him. What is that going to mean? If he moves in my life, does that mean I'm going to have to get uncomfortable? Am I going to have to do some hard things? Am I going to have to move to Africa and live in a remote village and never see my family again? I don't know. But we want God to move, but here's the tension. We want God to move, but then there's like this big but. That's right, big but, all right? that we say in this, and here's kind of what I would say we narrow it down. We want God to move, but three things. We don't want it to be weird, right? We don't want God to show up weird. That's just odd. Two, we don't want it to be hard. We want the path of whatever God's going to do to be easy. And three, we, we don't want it to cost us anything. We like our comfort zone. We like what we established here uh, in our life, what we've worked for, all those different things. And what we see in Exodus 3 is that as God shows up in this burning bush, he does all three of those things as he's calling Moses and showing Moses who he is. So let's read together chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. Hopefully that's not your father-in-law's name, all right? But the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb. Okay, now recap. If you remember, Moses was a Hebrew boy, infant, and at the time King Pharaoh wanted to kill all the Hebrews, uh, boys that were born. And so his mom put him in a basket, floated him down the Nile, and Pharaoh's daughter found him, adopted him as his own. And he, ra he was raised really in Egyptian royalty in the palace of Pharaoh for approximately 40 years. Well, Moses leaves the palace. He goes out to the common folk, and he sees an Egyptian beating a, a Hebrew uh, Israelite, and Moses is not okay with that. So he snaps, and he kills the Egyptian. Well, it gets back to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, hey, I'm going to kill you now. Your head's on a platter. So Moses flees to this remote wilderness town of Midian. And he's there for approximately 40 years. So think about this. Moses at this time is 80 years old. And he doesn't, it's not his sheep that he's leading. He's actually leading his father-in-law, Jethro, his sheep in the wilderness of Midian, um, right to the, came to the place of Horeb, which is actually, it's really Mount Sinai. Um, it's this kind of a smaller mountain right next to it. It's, it's still attached, but it's a, a smaller peak, if you will. So that's where Moses is um, in this. And it says, verse 2, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said this, okay? This is so um, awesome. Uh, um, turn aside. Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. Moses, Moses, he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. Now, we, this is where we left off last week. 
If you remember, the people, the Israelites, cried out to God because King Pharaoh was causing great suffering, made them slaves, hoping that they would dissipate and not continue to grow. So their life was one of suffering. And so God is saying, hey, I heard their cries. They groaned at the end of chapter 2. I've heard those groanings. I, I, I am here, and I'm going to do something about it. And so he says, I know their sufferings. I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them um, up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the uh, Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh. He's talking to Moses. I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But listen to how Moses responds. He says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, but I will be with you. And I love that. God tells Moses when he questions it, God says, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. And when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain right here. He's like, you are right here. You see this? And this is where we're going to end at the end of this series, um, kind of in this first part, right at the, the foot of Mount Sinai. He says, I'm going to lead you right here to the God, and you will serve the God of this mountain. And Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the, um, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus, I am to be remembered throughout all generations. All right? Man, what an incredible passage and encounter that God is speaking to Moses. And Moses is encountering God in such a way that God is revealing himself in this burning bush. Now, what we learn about the nature of God, which is really, really big right here, it helps us understand his character. That one, God is, the big fancy word, transcendent. That he is above us right? That he is bigger than anything that you and I could imagine, that he can, he is over all things, above all things. He is transcendent among or over his people. But what God is also doing is showing Moses, he's also imminent. He's saying, I will be with you. So not only is he above his people, he is among his people, that he is imminent right there in their face, working and moving. And God is defining himself in this moment. And we're going to look at these things. Is that he's saying, this is who I am. He even says, okay, Moses asks, who am I going to tell is sending me? And he says, tell him I am is sending you. Could you imagine that? You show up at work tomorrow and you're like, hey, I'm going to ask the rest of the week off. Well, who gave you permission? I am. <laughs> you know, it's kind of odd. But in this, God is defining his character, and who he is. Now, you don't need me to tell you this, but we live in a day of age where we think that you, we have the right to define things. 
We have the right where people believe they can define their sex, their gender, their who God is, really pours out to, in that, to say, okay, you know what, I'm going to define who God is. That's why you hear people say, well, I don't really think God would do that. I don't know if, if God is really, he, he loves, he doesn't do these things. He doesn't allow this. He wouldn't, he wouldn't, you probably have heard that. And so we try and attempt to define God's character in this. And really we, what, what ends up happening is we make God a concept. Instead, he is a reality. And God is who he says he is. I mean, think about how insane this is when we try to define what we are, who we are, what sex we are, all these different things. When it comes to God, it'd be like me coming to you and saying, hey, what is your favorite dog? And you say an American short hair. Now, I'm not a cat person, but if you're a cat person, you know that's not a dog. That's a cat, all right? An American short hair is a type of cat. So if, you, if I said, what's your favorite dog? And you said an American short hair, and I responded, that's a cat. I'm asking you, what's your favorite dog? And you say, no, Dustin, you don't understand. That is a dog. I defined American short hair as a dog. That's how I relate. It is a dog. Well, I would, or I would tell you, no, it's a cat. And scripture's clear, it's a mark of the beast. And, um, and I'm just kidding. That's, you know, whatever. If you're a cat person, I'm sorry. You know, people know I love dogs. I don't like cats. And so, but at some point, if we're having that conversation, I'm bowing out because I know it sounds harsh, but you have lost a sense of reality. And so we try to do this with God, and I want to be very clear and have this point. You and I do not have the right to define God. Only God can. Only God does. He defines who he is. And so as we look at this passage of Scripture through this burning bush, we're going to point out three huge— I know I'm just throwing this out there. It's hard to grasp. I get that. But God should not be an easy thing to grasp. And so— we're going to see these characteristics of how God reveals himself right here um, in Moses, or to Moses. And the first one is this. God is holy. God is holy. It shares, he is sharing who he is, his nature. Now remember, as he shows up in this burning bush, and it says that um, Moses said he will turn aside because he sees this great light. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside, God called to him out of the bush. He said, Moses, Moses. Now, you know why God told um, or said his name twice? I don't, okay? So I don't know. Maybe he was getting his attention. Maybe he was busy with the sheep. But he calls his name twice, and he says, he, and Moses says, here I am. And God says, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place by which you are standing is holy ground. Now, Moses knew. He had led these sheep back and forth. This is the wilderness. This is the desert. Moses, in the back of his mind, is like, holy ground is sand. You know, I've led my sheep or these sheep across this land. What makes it so holy? What makes it so holy is the presence of God. That God is right there, and he is in, engulfed into this flame, and he tells Moses, hold up. Take off your sandals, because, because I'm here, this is holy ground. Now, it's going to come to fruition, as we saw a little bit in foreshadow in this text, that God, or Moses, is going to lead the people of Israel to, to face God at the, the mount 
of this incredible mountain, Mount Sinai. At the, at the base of this mountain, he's, they're going to experience God as holy. And in this moment, you have to think that Egypt was really the poster child of everything that wasn't holy. They were rebellious. They worshipped many, many gods. They really worshipped the afterlife and all these different ways and things of how you can get to it and meet your needs. It was all about them. And Pharaoh, being the king, was all about himself. And so God is revealing himself to counteract the culture which Moses was raised in and saw to say, hey, I am holy. And the two biggest things, the way that we can explain this is that one, the, the Hebrew word for holy really translates to be set apart, to be distinct, to be unique. So God is something that is not compared to anything else. We can't put words behind it. Holy, in my opinion, really doesn't even do it justice. That God is above anything that we could possibly imagine. That he is distinctive. He is set apart. There is no one like him. And so he is holy. The other thing that we see is that he is pure. That means that he is without sin. He is absolutely perfect. And so we tend to do this with God, that we try to make God some oversized superhero of ourselves. That is not good because God is nothing like us. And so when we try to wrap him and try to put him in bodily form, the closest thing we get is, uh, to see is Jesus and, and God incarnate. But for us to understand God, we can't supersize ourselves. Or he kind of looks like me. He just floats on a cloud, you know. It doesn't do it justice. And so we see even the prophet Isaiah says things like this. He says in Isaiah 40, 25, God himself issues the challenge. Who will compare, uh, who will you compare me to? Or who is my equal? Ask the Holy One. Our answer is no one. No one compares to God. There is no equal because he is holy. Uh, the prophet Isaiah also continues in Isaiah 57, uh, a few chapters later. He says, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. He's perfect. He is flawless. That is his character. He deserves reverence and worship because of his holiness. So we see that. The second thing we see in this story is that God is faithful. When he shows up and begins to talk to Moses, he says, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. It says that Moses hid his face because he was afraid to even look. And then God says, hey, I heard your cries. I know your affliction. I'm going to be with you. I am faithful. And think about this from Moses' perspective. He has heard it his entire life that at the beginning of time when God made this covenant with Abraham, saying, hey, you obey me, and I'm going to lead your people. They're going to be blessed, and they're going to experience this land of milk and honey, the promised land. Then Abraham dies. God picks up that covenant with Isaac. Says, hey, I'm going to do the same thing. I promised Abraham this. We're going to do this. Then Isaac dies, picks it up with Jacob. He didn't just say, oh, I only made a promise to that one person. Sorry, you lose everybody else. He continues this covenant. And Moses is, is aware of that covenant and is, is fully embraces it. And God shows up and says, I'm that God. And I'm here to tell you that I hear what you're going through. And I know for us, we kind of talked about this last week, it is so hard for us 
to understand in difficult times, how is God being faithful in this? And you know what God reminded me, kind of punched me in the, in the throat <laughs> this week, is that so many times, I know I've been guilty of saying, God's not faithful. You know, like, we're going through a hard time. Where's God in this moment? Have you ever thought about this? Who do we think that we are as unfaithful? And I don't think you need me to tell you that we're not perfect by any means. We disappoint and we fail God on a daily basis. But who are we as unfaithful to determine when God is faithful and when he's not? Think about that. That God is faithful. We might not see it. We might not understand it. We might not be able to have something that's tangible that we can grasp onto. But God is faithful and he's showing up to Moses and he's saying, Hey, remember that covenant? That was me. And I'm going to lead you into this because I am going to be with you. Because Moses is like, me? You want me to? He, my head's on a platter. You want me to go back to Pharaoh and, and tell, tell him these things, whatever? And God says, listen, I'm faithful. I'm going to be with you. And some of you this morning, you need to be reminded of that. God knows. It's not like you have to play Marco Polo with God. He knows exactly what you're going through, what you're encountering. He hears your cries. We even spent some time last week at the end of service, this, you know, calling out to God and saying, hey, take this off my plate. We should be doing that regularly. He wants to hear from us, and God is working. And so there's a third point, one of the greatest things that I love about this, a huge cornerstone in this, is that not only is God holy, not only is God faithful, but God is eternal. He shows up in this flame, and when Moses, when, when God directs Moses to go, and he says, who, who am I going to say is sending me? And God says, tell them, I am who I am is sending you. Now, really, this translates, it's kind of confusing, so bear with me. It really translates, I be who I be. Now, for you and me, we would kind of fill in the blank. I am a father. I am a husband. I am a pastor. This is like full circle argument because God is saying, I am who I am. I'm everything. I'm eternal. There is no beginning. There is no end, right? There's nothing that confines me. There's nothing that distracts me down. There's nobody's standards I have to meet. I am who I am. And really, over time, what's happened is that in that, it was actually, if you were to pronounce it in the original way, it would be haya. So like a cry chop. Say that with me. Haya. Hayah, all right, all right, whoa, okay. So Hayah is really the original Hebrew, but it wasn't really spoken. And so over time, it translates into what, would see, what you would see in the original language, uh, y, um, YWHW, or Yahweh, all right. And then that, they started adding value, uh, vowels and call, call them Jehovah. And the English translations of the Bible it would be the Lord in all caps. So every time you, we did a name study a few years ago, anytime you see the Lord in all caps, it really means Yahweh. It really means I am who I am. And so what God is doing is he is showing up saying, I'm nothing like anything you experienced, Moses. I, I, like I said, I don't have a beginning. I don't have an end. I'm unbounded. I'm unchanging. I'm the same. I'm forever. I'm going to be here. And for generation after generation after generation, they are going to remember me because I am who I say I am. Tell them that I was the one that sent, sent you. And so we see this, this God who is eternal, even with the symbolism of a burning bush that is not being consumed. It's not going out. It symbolizes God's eternal value, that he is who he says he is. So let me wrap up with this, okay? Because I talked too long. Is this. 
is that you might be saying, okay, what does that have to do with me? How does that relate to my walk with God right now? How does that relate? That happened way before Jesus. What does that mean in this moment right now? Here's how it relates. When you understand the character of God, it changes everything. I said this last week. When you understand the character of God, then you understand who Jesus is. And when you understand who Jesus is, you understand what he came to do for you and through you and to help you. You understand the forgiveness that was offered for you. You understand that the God who was faithful then to Moses, thousands of years before now, that he is the same God, never changing, is not bound to some kind of agenda by anybody, that he sent Jesus for you to be faithful, to keep up his end of the bargain, to say, you know what? I desire a relationship with you. Sure, I don't need you, but I want a relationship with you. And so he sent Jesus to die on the cross, to pay the price for our sin, to pay that sacrifice so that you and I can know him. That it isn't just this distant God who's impersonal and some cosmic genie out in space, that we can have a relationship with him. And when we understand that, it changes everything. Changes your purpose of life. Changes the hope that you have in times of despair. It understands you, or you begin to understand who God is. And as you understand who God is, you begin to understand the sin in your life and how it's unpleasing to God. And then you want to say, you know what? I want to please God. And so I need to get these things out of my life and begin to worship Him. It changes everything. So here's my closing kind of question, propositional question to you this morning. Do you know God? And I know that sounds like a cliche. Yeah, yeah, I know God. No, I'm saying, do you know God? Do you know his character? Do you know his nature? Not just some concept out here, how you have defined him or our world or some past messed up church or pastor that you have, you have some baggage from. I'm saying the God who is in scripture, the God who defines himself, do you know that God? And if you do, do you have a relationship with him beyond just cultural Christianity and Sunday mornings? Are you walking with him? Are you talking with him? Are you spending time worshiping him? Because the blood of Jesus changed all of that for you and me, for us to come to him and to know him intimately. And if that's you this morning, you're like, you know what? I'm struggling through that. I would love to talk to you. I won't do anything embarrassing. We could talk during this last song or after service. But I'm just going to pray. Man, God is clearly here this morning through our worship, through the reading of his word. And God wants to continue to stir in your hearts during this time. So respond to him. Let's pray together and then the band will lead us. Father, we are so guilty trying to put you in a box and try to define who you are when it is nothing like what we see in scripture. Maybe one of out of our own insecurities and comforts, but as we see in scripture, as we see just in isolation in this story, that you are holy, you are faithful, and you are eternal. And when we realize even just those three things, it changes everything about us. And so Father, will we walk into this intimacy with you this morning? Maybe some of us for the very first time, to realize who you are and that it will change our lives. That God, that it will change how we parent, how we love our spouses, how we manage our finances, how we deal with people who are frustrating, how we love people well, how we go through times of stress and need hope in times of despair. God, it changes everything. And that is possible by you sending Jesus to die on the cross, his blood to be shed so we can have that relationship with you. Thank you for that promise. 
So Father, we worship you now. It's in your son's name. Amen.